Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to another sermon in our Genesis series. My name is Dan Forrest, and it has been both a pleasure and a challenge for Jonathan Chan and myself to work through this rich and complicated book. But I know I've been blessed by the series so far, and I hope that you have been blessed too. Well, because of the rise in cases of COVID-19 here in BC, this will be a very unusual Christmas indeed. No extended family gatherings, no parties with friends, no in-person Christmas services. This is just so strange. And for many, this will be a difficult and even lonely time. So let's keep praying for each other and let's just reach out to those that you might know who could use a phone call right now or a video chat. Let's do what we can to help each other out. Well, as we always do before every sermon, let's watch a little video clip. It's Valentine's Day in Springfield, and Ralph Wiggum once again is being overlooked. So, enjoy this clip. It started appropriately enough with an innocent boy being embarrassed on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Poor Ralph. Here you go, Ralph. (gasps) You choo-choo-choose me? Happy Valentine's. Poor Ralph. No one appreciates him. He is so lonely. But it's so sweet that Lisa reaches out to him and shows him some compassion. Well, this morning we're going to look at a story in Genesis of another person who is overlooked, unappreciated, and even mistreated. And that is Hagar. If you recall from the previous chapters in Genesis, God has promised to give Abram in his old age offspring who will go on to make his name great and to make him into a great nation. But when we get to Genesis 16, things aren't happening like Abram and Sarah, his wife, would like. So let's read Genesis 16 together. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. These Genesis stories are so crazy. Everything happens so matter-of-factly. I can't have kids, Abram, so sleep with my wife. Okay. Hagar, she just has no choice in this. She's forced to become Abram's second wife and forced to become mother to his child. Definitely sounds strange in our culture, but apparently in that time, according to the Hammurabi Code, this kind of thing was encouraged if you were infertile. You could take a surrogate who would be a lesser wife. Now, infertility infertility has been a difficult experience for many people throughout history and still affects many women and men today. I know some people who don't want kids and they don't mind having children. But for those who really want a family, to realize it's not going to happen in the traditional sense, this is a huge blow to your purpose, to your identity, to your future. And there was even a period of time when Amy and I thought that we weren't going to be able to have biological kids, and, and that was a painful experience for us. When something like that happens, we all start to question, why is this happening? We try to make sense of this chaos. And for Sarah, we read that she came to the conclusion that this was God's fault. He was keeping her from having kids. Which is really strange, because God had promised them that he would give them children. But 
Either she doesn't trust God will do it, or she's begun to believe that God's plan for Abram to have ch- uh, to have children was through another woman. And so she brings Hagar into their bed. Let's keep reading. And just so you know, I don't know how to pronounce these people's names properly. I keep switching back and forth between Abram, Abram, Sarah, Sarai, Hagar, Hagar. Bear with me. All right, here we go. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Well, that took an interesting turn. Hagar was supposed to be the lesser wife, but now that she's pregnant, she's elevated herself above Sarah and begins despising her now. Sarah turns to Abram for some backup, and Abram shrugs off all responsibility and tells her to do whatever she wants with her. So then, of course, Sarah retaliates and mistreats Hagar, causing Hagar to flee. This thing is a mess now. Sarah tried to solve her infertility problem on her own without God's help, And now with Hagar gone, she is left childless, bitter, and angry. And at this point in the story, we would think, fine, Hagar's out of the picture, but she was a mistake anyways. She's a foreigner. She's a slave. She's not the the one that God will use to give Abram a descendant. So just let her go. Let's move on with the story. But even though we, like Abram and Sarah, have abandoned Hagar, God has not. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Well, this is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Bible, and it's not quite clear who he is. At times, he seems to be a messenger of God, but as he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. Some think that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus appearing to Hagar. Others think that this could be Gabriel or one of the other angels. We don't know for sure, but it is clear that when the angel speaks to someone, it's the same as the Lord God speaking to them. And this conversation is transformational. Notice that the angel is the first person to mention Hagar by name. Both Sarah and Abram refer to her only as a slave. When God sees her, he doesn't see a rejected foreign slave. He sees Hagar. And this question for her, where have you come from and where are you going? This is a deeply personal and intimate question. But it is hard to hear God's direction for her going forward. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. You know, if we were writing the story, we would have God fix all of her problems and make everything all good. But but no, for some reason in this story, in this situation, God sends her back into this abusive situation. However, he's not sending her back empty-handed. He's sending her back with an incredible promise. I will increase your descendants. Hagar is receiving the same blessing and promise that Abram received. And this is good news, and it's enough to give her courage to return. 
After she leaves, we read this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Well, this is the first time anywhere in Scripture, and possibly the only time in Scripture, when anyone names God. And Rich Viatus, he captures the power of this encounter with a simple tweet. The first person in Scripture to name God is Hagar, a woman, a single mother, Egyptian slave. She says, I have seen the one who sees me. God has a way of exalting the vulnerable. This name captures such an important part of who God is and who God is to us. He is the God who sees me. And what is implied here in this situation? First, the God who sees me sees what Hagar is going through, sees the pain forced on Hagar, sees the impossible situation she is in. God sees what has happened to us and what we are going through. But more deeply, the God who sees me sees who Hagar truly is. She is not just a slave in his eyes. She is made in the image of God. She is beautifully and wonderfully made. She has dignity and worth and personality. And God sees who she is probably better than she sees herself. And finally, an important quality of the God who sees me is that he makes it known that he sees me. God comes down to be with her in her suffering. He reaches out to her. He extends love and grace and dignity towards her. These three things are captured in the name, the God who sees me. God sees our situation. God sees who we truly are. And God moves forward to show us that we are seen. As a kid, and especially as a teenager... I didn't feel like people really saw me. I was small, I was insignificant, and I would occasionally get a laugh from people, but I was often made fun of, or I was ignored. I remember one time in class I was leaning back on my chair and I, I fell back and I made this huge thud on the ground and I was expecting the class to turn and just start laughing at me, but to my surprise, no one flinched at all. No one had even noticed that I had fallen. As I got up off the ground and, and sat back in my chair humiliated, I thought to myself, ah, strangely enough, I would rather be made fun of than ignored, because then at least I would be noticed. I felt completely invisible and worthless. So I can relate to poor Ralph from The Simpsons, especially when it came to girls. No one was paying any attention to me. But just like Ralph, when someone did see me and moved towards me like Lisa did, I clung on to those moments. I remember in grade 9, a girl at summer camp asked me to go to the banquet with her. I couldn't believe it. A girl saw me. Well, unfortunately, our, our relationship didn't go much past that, but it meant something to me that I was seen. Later, in grade 11, I, I moved to a new school, and, and I felt completely out of place there. No one was talking to me or connecting with me. And then as I was walking home one day, 
Harry pulled his car over and asked if I wanted a ride. Harry, a popular kid, noticed me and gave me a ride in his fancy car. After that drive, we didn't talk again. <laughs> but in that moment, he saw me. Shortly after that, I saw a guy in my class who had a Trinity Western shirt on. And I saw him and I asked him about his shirt. Sometimes in the past, I've reached out to people to say, hey, I, I see you. And then they shut their eyes and they walk away from me. But in this case, he saw me back. And we quickly became close friends and still are friends to this day. Being human is so vulnerable and relationships are risky. And to be seen is such a comforting and secure feeling. So for me to know that there is a God who sees me. This has been pivotal and monumental in my human journey. As I went through high school, I leaned heavily on these verses that talked about the God who sees me, who calls me by name, who has a plan for my life. Well, Hagar was vulnerable and afraid, and God showed her that she was seen. This and the promise of more descendants was enough to give Hagar the courage to return to her harsh situation with Sarah and Abram, and she eventually gave birth to a son, Ishmael. Well, the next chapter in Genesis is when God calls Abram to show his support of the covenant by getting circumcised and having all the other males in his household circumcised as well. If you don't know what circumcision is, I have a picture here to show you. Uh, actually, I'm not going to spend much time at all explaining circumcision. I don't totally understand why God made Jewish men do this, and I don't understand how this all started. I really don't want to go there. I'll just say God told them to do it, and they obeyed, and they did it. You know, even Jesus, in the Christmas story, as a baby, he's brought to the temple to get circumcised, so he continues the covenant ritual. But I don't really understand what's going on there, and I'll defer all questions to Pastor Jonathan because I'm sure he would love to help you out there. But there is this in interesting encounter in chapter 17 that we do need to talk about, and it comes back to Ishmael again. Remarkably, Abram actually thinks this plan is working and that Ishmael is part of the covenant now. But, God, but as God is explaining the covenant to Abram again and telling him about circumcision, he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And then he changes Sarah's name in verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Well, we know that God will give a son to Sarah. But Abraham and Sarah had given up on that plan long ago, and they think Ishmael is the one. But God is faithful to all his promises, and we read, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. 
I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. I love this story because Abraham and Sarah thought that they had it all figured out and they thought their solution was working. But God comes in and says, no, 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 you're still going to have a biological kid together. Even though you're in your 90s, we're still going ahead with this. But look at what happens with Ishmael. Ishmael is their big mistake. He's a sign of their weakness and their lack of faith. But God sees Ishmael and he has not rejected him or his promise to Hagar. He will still honor and bless this family line and cause it to flourish, even though it was a mistake. Well, this is the end of my sermon boundaries of chapter 16 and 17, but I really want to jump forward a few chapters and look at what happens later with Hagar and Ishmael. So for today, I'm going to reach forward and pluck this later story out so that we can talk about it now, because it's just so fitting. Now, don't worry, Jonathan, I'm not stealing from your future sermon. It's one that I'm actually scheduled to preach on, so it's okay, I take it. Okay, now jump with me to Genesis 21, verse 8. Spoiler alert, Sarah does get pregnant and gives birth to a boy named Isaac. And then this happens. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. This word distressed is packed with emotion. Abraham is greatly troubled in his heart and God is calling him here to give up his firstborn son and trust that somehow God will honor his promise to him. We all know the story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, but we don't often talk about this story where God calls him to also let go of his first son Ishmael. Abraham is somehow able to let go, even though it's so painful for him. And we read this. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Once again, Hagar is in the wilderness. In this time, she truly believes that her only son is about to die. This scene is heartbreaking. But of course, the God who sees also hears. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? 
do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is an incredible story because in the previous story of Hagar in the wilderness, God didn't necessarily fix all of her problems. He sent her back into the problem situation. But in this time, God is miraculous. What's so important about this story is, once again, the story of Hagar and Ishmael was a mistake. It never should have happened. Along with Sarah and Abram, we probably wish it would just go away. Get to the real story of Isaac and God's covenant. Don't worry about this insignificant blip. But God sees those that we don't see or don't want to see. And God is faithful to keep his promises. These types of stories are all throughout the Bible. God sees those who are seemingly unimportant. God sees those who we choose to ignore. And God moves towards them to show them that they are seen. Pretty much every human story in the Bible is God showing up and saying, I see you and I've got good things promised for you. Especially when Jesus walks the earth. God in flesh walks among us and he sees those who have been rejected, despised, ignored, condemned. Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, blind Bartimaeus begging on the road, no one listening to him, the bleeding woman who reaches out and grabs Jesus, the little children who the disciples try to shoo away, or the woman who's caught in adultery who the Pharisees try to get Jesus to condemn as well. Jesus comes down in human form and he sees these people for who they really are. He sees what they've experienced in this world and he moves towards them to show them that they are seen by him. In the Christmas story, Jesus was doing this before he was even born and even as a little baby. Mary's relative Elizabeth was childless, unable to conceive, and now very old. Well, the angel of the Lord appeared to her husband, and as the God who sees me promised them a baby boy who would grow up to be John the Baptist. The angel of the Lord also appeared to Mary, an insignificant Jewish girl with nothing special about her. And he told her that God had seen her as highly favored and full of grace. She had been specially chosen to be the mother of God. God also saw Joseph and guided him through his confusing part in this whole story. God saw the lower class shepherds and chose them to be the first ones to hear of Jesus' birth. God saw Simeon and Anna on separate occasions in the temple courts, and he led them to the baby Jesus, who was the fulfillment of their hopes and dreams. In the eyes of the baby Jesus, they saw the God who sees me. My sisters and my brothers, Jesus truly is the God who sees you. He sees what has been done to you. He sees the hurt and pain you've gone through. He sees where you're at now, what you're going through now. He sees the loneliness and depression that some of you are experiencing. And he is moving towards you with promises of good things. Like Hagar and Ishmael, 
He might not take away your present pain, but he will give you hope and strength that you need to get through this because he is faithful to his promises and he promises to heal and restore you one day. And sometimes like later in the story with Hagar and Ishmael in the desert and the well of water, God shows up miraculously and provides exactly what we need in a miraculous way today even. You might be feeling like no one really sees you. You might be feeling invisible and insignificant. But in the eyes of God, you are a precious treasure. You are his daughter and his son. You are a work of art. You are highly favored and full of grace. While the world may overlook you or only see your mistakes or judge you based on your skin or your gender or your status, Jesus is the God who sees you for who you truly are. He knows you deeply and personally, and even with your flaws and rough edges, he still loves you and is still cheering you on. Sisters and brothers, if you know in your heart that you are seen by God, I want to extend an invitation to you today. I want to invite you to open your eyes to see those in your community or in your world who are unseen. I guarantee you there are people among you who do not feel seen by anyone, and especially not by God. For too long we have been like Sarah and Abram, closing our eyes on certain people, not showing them that God sees them. But we have this opportunity to be the angel of the Lord to others and show them that God does love them and that God does see them. Some friends of mine have been blessed with the ministry of caring for migrant workers in my area. Most of the greenhouses in the Fraser Valley are staffed by workers from Guatemala, from Mexico, from China, many other countries. And my friends, they minister to Latino workers. And last week, they shared an awful story with me. Weeks ago, one of the workers that they know was showing signs of COVID and they encouraged him to get tested. But he was overlooked. He was ignored. He was not allowed to go and get tested. He had to continue working. And now, as a result, there's an outbreak on his farm. The farm is shut down. Everyone is in quarantine. The workers, they don't know if they're going to get paid for this time off. They don't know if they can leave to go and buy food. They're stuck in their little houses doing nothing. They've been left helpless and confused. And I'm so thankful that I have friends who can be the angel of the Lord to those workers and show them that they are seen. My friends are doing everything that they can to advocate for them, to get them supplies, to offer them even counseling and connection over the internet. And as they shared their story with us and with other people that I know, immediately members of the local churches in our area stepped up to offer food, puzzles, games, any support that they could to show these workers that they are loved. I see the migrant workers in my community all the time. I see them at the store. I see them at the bus stop. But I don't really see them. I got to be honest. I, I don't see what their living and working conditions are like. I don't see what it's like for them to live so far away from their families. And because of this language barrier, I, I'm shy to strike up conversations with them when I do see them around town. 
But now I'm praying that God helps me to see them better. And I'm so thankful that God has blessed my friends with this ministry, with this opportunity to reach out, because it's helped open my eyes as well, and I hope it opens more people's eyes. Well, I want to invite you this Christmas season to pray, to ask God to open your eyes to see the people in your world who are unseen. And I invite you to pray that God gives you the courage and the resources that you need to be the angel of the Lord to those unseen in these difficult days. Let's pray now. Lord, you have searched us and you know us. You know when we sit and when we rise, you perceive our thoughts from afar. You discern our going out and our lying down and you are familiar with all our ways. Before a word is on our tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Thank you for creating our inmost being, for knitting us together individually in our mother's wombs. We praise you because you have made us fearfully and wonderfully. Your works are wonderful and we know that full well. Search us, God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Open our eyes to see those who are unseen in our midst and lead us to show love and compassion to those who need it most today. Amen. Well, I look forward to gathering with you this Sunday on Zoom. have a few um, reflections to consider before we meet together. Consider these three questions, these three points. Number one, describe a time when you felt unseen. And we've all got either little funny moments in our life or we've got big serious moments when we felt unseen. What have those moments been like for you? Number two, what are some memorable moments in your life when you did feel seen? Who are the people who stepped up and showed you that you were seen by them? When, when were the times when God revealed himself to you? Number three, who do you have difficulty seeing as worthy of your love or time? That's a really tough question. This is one we probably want to ignore and overlook and, and not go there. But as Christians, we need to go there. Who are the people that we have a difficult time seeing as worthy of our love and our time? Well, blessings upon you as you prepare for the Sunday, as you prepare for Christmas coming up. Merry Christmas to you all, and we'll see you on Sunday.